Hey everyone, I'm back in the lab this week. This is Ryan Williams hosting Stories from the Influencer Economy. I'm thrilled today as last night was my book launch party. Anyone listening or any new listeners know that I have the Influencer Economy book that has been a labor of love for over two years now. It's now available on Amazon Kindle and it will be on Amazon for physical print next week. And last night, I had my book launch event in Santa Monica, a neighborhood in Los Angeles where I'm based. And we had about 90 people come out to celebrate the influencer economy and talking about how to launch, share, and thrive in the digital age. So it's been an overwhelming time for me because I've spent the last two plus years. So there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into the uh, process. This episode is actually my talk last night that I gave at General Assembly in Santa Monica. So I want to give them a big thanks. They are partnering with me on my tour this summer. So I'll be going to General Assembly San Francisco on June 27th and General Assembly Washington, D.C. on June 30th and General Assembly New York on July 12th. So I did the launch event last night in Santa Monica. You can buy the book at InfluencerEconomyBook.com and Go to my website, InfluencerEconomy.com, for all the tour information and the archives for the podcast. Without further ado, here's my talk last night for my book launch party. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please keep it going for Stephanie and General Assembly. And... For yourselves, for making it out tonight on a Tuesday evening, there's still a couple spaces around. I know there's some folks standing in the back. We had a, so please get your way towards the front. There's a couple seats right here. Um, so thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, we are having a, a thrilling evening. My wife is here. We just gave birth. We have a baby daughter who is five weeks old. So if she screams in the back, uh, that's probably my wife closing a door, exiting to, uh, to wave goodbye. So uh, I want to start off by saying that I was a teacher at General Assembly. I taught a class called How to Launch Your Idea. I see a lot of friendly faces here. And the beautiful thing about writing this book in the digital age is that books are an entirely collaborative process. And so I had friends in the crowd and people here who not only helped me make the book better, but they were crowd editors. I had people that actually read chapters and told me what worked, what didn't work. I had other friends here who introduced me to podcast guests. I had other people here who were on my podcast, including Tom Merritt, who we'll be talking to later. So overall, I want to say thank you all for coming. And if you're ready to get started, let's do this. So without knowing much about me, you think I'm a venerated entrepreneur, as I was just introduced. Um, but I used to do stand-up comedy many years ago. And when I was writing the book, I was able to reflect upon a lot of my past. And what I realized with stand-up, what it taught me was I had to deal with failure. And I had to deal with rejection. And I still face that as a writer and as an entrepreneur. And a lot of people didn't know this about me at the time when I was a stand-up, but I was suffering through severe depression. And I spent the first uh, couple years after college avoiding people on the weekends, not going out at night. And I had a day job at a, non -pas or a, at a pension rights center. It was a... It was an advocacy group in Washington, D.C., and that paid my bills, and I did stand-up at night. And I was very anxious, and I just sort of hold myself up. But once I got through that, I realized that the rejection part of this life that we're living in, in, in the digital age now, but back then, pre-digital, rejection is a big part of it. 
And so you have to put yourself out there if you want to get your ideas seen and heard. And every single person I talked to for the book, which I'll get into later, has dealt with rejection. And so actually, I made a website page, influencerkami.com slash rejections, to talk about all the rejections of the people that are in the book. After I worked in stand-up, so I met this wonderful woman who I mentioned as my wife, and she convinced me to uh, drop the microphone on my comedy career because she felt like I had other skills to offer the world. I then pivoted into entertainment, and I worked in Washington, D.C., where I'm from, and I worked on shows like The Wire as a production assistant. I made independent films on the weekends. And the second lesson that I learned through entertainment was it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. And oftentimes, if any, who here has worked in Hollywood? You know that it's not always the smartest or best qualified person that gets the job. It's the most networked person that often gets the job. And so when I lived in DC, I actually built my network because I worked as a PA on shows like The Wire, which I, who here has watched The Wire? I worked on season four, which was the education season. They found a body in the house. I don't know if you remember that episode. Very good one. Highly, spoiler alert, they found the body. Um, but I, I had a great time on, on, in that part of my, my professional career, but I, I learned that building networks were key. And the second thing I learned was it's all about attrition. When I moved to LA, my friend told me, if you want to survive in Hollywood, you have to keep doing it. Because people go home because they give up. And you take their place in line every time they go back home to wherever they're from. And the same is true in entrepreneurship and with writing and everything I'm doing today. So now, the context that most of my friends in Los Angeles know me as, after I dropped the mic <laughs> on my entertainment career, uh, was that I, I, I went into technology startups. So I worked at a company called Machinima.com, which I have a couple friends here from. And uh, at the time, we were valued at $200 million uh, when I left. And I had another company I worked for. It was acquired by Disney called Digison. We did social media marketing. And then finally, I worked for a company called State.com in London. And I loved marketing. I loved tech. And I loved the risk. And as I worked at these technology companies, I learned through the years that influence were transforming media. I'd go to VidCon. This is me wearing a really cool hat at VidCon, which is a YouTube conference that's now in Anaheim, where 20,000 fans and community members of YouTube channels and brands all to get together to cross-pollinate and make amazing things. And I would meet people like Bernie Burns, who is a celebrity. He's a rock star. Has anyone here heard of Bernie Burns? Two people that are friends of mine that listen to my podcast. My, my wife has as well. David, who helped me write the book. Matt, who I used to work with. So the usual suspects. Ber Bernie Burns has a line of hundreds and hundreds of people waiting for autographs. He does these signings at VidCon. He is a celebrity. But if he walked in right now, only five people would know him. But if we were all 15-year-old Halo video gamers, you half the room would know him. So I was fascinated by him, people like Shira Lazar, who hosted an event called Tubathon, which was a Jerry Lewis-style telethon with YouTubers. And they could th make these videos like Vine and YouTube could raise money for charity with hashtags. And it was just this mind-blowing thing that I felt like celebrity was being disrupted. And I, I don't like the word disruption, so don't judge me for using it, because it's very overused. But there's something about fame right now that has changed. So I went in to launch a podcast. So has anyone here listened to my podcast? By, by round of applause, this half of the room is getting an F. I anyway, you guys, the listeners. Um, so I spent the last two and a half years after I had my first kid, started my own company, Rhino Lab, and I started interviewing people that were world-class investors, people like Bernie Burns and Shiva Lazar, 
uh, all these folks that were influencers. And I was like, no one's covering these people. They are so interesting and they're transforming media. We gotta get the word out. And so I, I then realized that after I talked to people like Seth Godin, who's my hero, anyone here read his books? Like the, the Dip changed my life as a business person. I talked to him, I talked to Troy Carter, who's an investor and Lady Gaga's former talent manager in Los Angeles, Freddie Wong, who's shattered crowdfunding records for making movies, and all these fascinating, inspiring people. Because I had a platform of a podcast, I could get my foot in the door, and it helped me then write the book. So it's been a symbiotic journey, and I've been studying these influencers for a long time. So now, I want to tell you that in order to thrive in the digital age, you don't need to go to business school, you don't need an Ivy League degree, you don't need to have a lot of money, and you don't need to know any celebrities. You need to learn the new rules of the influencer economy. Yeah, clap, come on. That means clap. Um, and also, I see folks taking photos, so feel free to take any photo, hashtag IEbook, if you wanna keep it copacetic. And, uh, so what we're gonna do now is I'll tell you a bit about the framework. Because when I started the book, like I mentioned, I crowd edited it. So I had a lot of friends who gave me feedback and they wanted more actions and lessons. And they wanted me to create a business framework for launching an idea from these influencers, which actually was not my original intention. At first I was gonna cover these folks and tell their amazing and inspiring stories. But what I learned, what I was learning wasn't as easily understood because I wasn't being clear enough. So all my friends and podcast listeners and email subscribers that gave me feedback said, make this more explicit. So the three steps are launch, share, and thrive. And I have a photo of Kanye West here because someone who came on my podcast, a guy named Flula Borg, who's a YouTuber, and he said that if you, unless you're Kanye West, no one cares if you make mistakes. So you have to just start. So just starting is, that is the, the element that everyone on my podcast did. The share element, that is building community. You need a community and an audience for any idea you have in the digital age. And it's never too early to start marketing your idea. And then finally, thriving. That's making money, making a living, and actually meeting people in real life and connecting with them. And finally, it's giving people ownership of your brand and your identity, and sharing with them and making them feel one-on-one -on -one like they're equals in your participation. So these are the 10 principles, if you want to take a look at them in emoji style. I'm reaching the millennials. Um, now, uh, so this is essentially where the steps come into play. So these are three steps that I just showed you, and these are the, the principles that go with each step. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to break down what the philosophies are very quickly, so then you can understand the framework for how anyone to launch their idea. So before I jump into this, can people just shout out what kind of ideas they're working on, if they have any? Ebook, ebook, digital theater, podcast. a podcast, blog, a blog, e-course, e a wetsuit line. A wetsuit line. <laughs> oh. Credit card for sports. Yeah, let's get more specific. Experience club. Experience club. We are Tech LA. Illuminated apparel. Illuminated apparel. I like that one. A box gift? Subscription box. Okay, any other ones? Video distribution. Video distribution. Okay, cool. That's good for context. So this is going to be, from this point forward, interactive. And I have influencer economy action guides I'll be giving out as well after this portion of the talk. 
So getting back to Kanye, just start, because no one cares if you make a mistake. And everyone I talked to just started. So the first start of the launch phase is crafting a big vision. What I learned working for tech startups is everyone loves a big vision. Everyone wants to get behind your big ideas of an investor or a business development person or a customer. They want to believe that you're going to do something big. But oftentimes people get lost. And what I learned from these influencers is they didn't create a big vision at first. Oftentimes they started a very small product, like a minimum viable product that you know, we, we hear about a lot in the lean startup methodology. But oftentimes people, they get caught up and they're like, I need a vision, but they don't have smaller projects to keep them along the way. So for me, like I mentioned, my podcast was my smaller project, and my book was my big vision. So I had two and a half years of work went into writing the book and two and a half years of the podcast as well. And so the podcast helped me meet influencers to write about in the book that made me smarter. And then the book was written and quoted by all the podcasters that were influencers that came on my show. So when you think about your idea, try to go small with a project, but still think about the long view. The second framework element is picking a platform. And this is Chris Hartwick. Anyone here listen to Nerdist podcast? It's, it's wonderful, highly recommended. I interviewed a bunch of people at their company. And what they did was, Chris Hartwick talks about how his personality is his competitive edge. And that makes him unique. And that's his differentiator. And oftentimes people forget that the aspect of your personality that you're putting towards your brand or your idea is the most important thing because that's what everyone's gonna resonate with because you're standing out from the rest of the world. And so with him, he bought the Nerdist.com web domain. He picked a logo. And these are all basic steps, and that's why they're in the, the launch phase. But I meet some people that email me through my podcast that have an idea for a podcast, and then six months later, I follow up, and they haven't launched their podcast because they didn't buy a domain, they didn't make a logo, they didn't make a brand. And these are all small steps that everyone in the influencer economy has taken. And however obvious it seems, I highly recommend you get a glass of wine or a beer or a lemonade, if you will, and you have a bunch of ideas written down and you buy website domains after a cocktail and they become great ideas or they become expired domains in a year. But for that $12, you can actually create something that could turn into amazing things. And I highly recommend just buying domains on a whim. So this is my, this is my, uh, my father-in-law portion of the talk. So my father-in-law has a boiler repair company in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's not digital. So I talked to him about platform building, and he tells me, Ryan, it's work for a reason. And I was like, I know, I know, I get it. He's like, let me tell you what I do. And so we get into it, and he's telling me he solves pain points for people. So people call my father-in-law from throughout the Southeast, how do I get my boiler fixed? Do you have any advice? And he tells them what to do, and then they end up hiring him for gigs. So a platform is more of a thinking process. It's not just the platform itself to create online. It's a mindset. And everything we're talking about tonight is more of a framework to rethink how you're launching your ideas, not necessarily to actually go out and create some new podcast network for yourself. So think about Joe Moore. So the third philosophy is book your own gigs, the Jay-Z effect. Who here has heard of Jay-Z? <laughs> I want to keep, keep everyone awake. Um, so Jay-Z is married to Bay. He used to own a sports team. He, he's a sports agent. He's a Rock Nation executive. He's got clothing lines. He, he did everything himself, though, at first. He's a hyphenate, right? He has so many jobs. 
When you launch your idea in the modern age, you have to do PR, communications, graphic design. You don't have any cash. We are all bootstrapped entrepreneurs. So when the book was written, I launched it as a way to help people with no cash. So we're not paying for any media. We have to earn all of it. That means we have to do all our jobs. And if you want to become a business man instead of a businessman or a woman, then you have to realize that you're going to do everything, even at Jay-Z's level when he started at the beginning to the top. The next philosophy is adopt technology early and often. And this is uh, 99% of the people that I talk to on my podcast were early adopters, whether it was podcasting or YouTube or eBooks or something that they could do before everyone else, and that reached a critical mass. Tom Merritt, who's you know, going to be talking to me later, he was very early on the crowdfunding website Patreon. And so he was there. And when you join these communities early, there's less competition. So you can actually break out, stand out. YouTube featured people on their homepage a couple years ago, and now YouTube's a mess. Apple iTunes, I have a podcast. I got featured two years ago, and now there's like 20 times as many podcasts. It's so much more hard to get attention. So think about how tech can help you. And not just joining the new social network, but just can you acquire emails and put an email bar on your website. Like basic things to help you be enabled through tech. Because curiosity guides almost everyone I talk to on my podcast to figure out the tech solution to help them along the way. So the next step is share after launch. And this was my old book cover. And I ended up changing it because everyone, I have a private Facebook group where I share a lot of my alpha ideas and it's more of a, a focus group of friends and podcast listeners, and they helped me out along the way, and everyone told me unanimously not to use this as a book cover. Um, I was attached to the share button because I thought it was pretty cool at first. Um, but the beauty of the influencer economy is the share phase. You have to share your idea. You can never build in a silo, never build by yourself. There's a romantic nature that we want to build in garages and come out of Stanford undergrad as a dropout and build the next Facebook, and that's wrong. That's like a mythology. You need to share your idea, tell people about it, and be strategic. So number five of 10 is strive for authenticity. And I talked to Mark Marin's producer of, who here listens to WTF podcast? So I talked to Brendan McDonald, and we talked about how uh, the president of the United States, Barack Obama, went on a podcast. And it was Mark Marin's in his garage. And I, I, by the way, I have a garage for my podcast now. So this is a big deal, because I was inspired by the garage that Mark Marin has. And Mark Marin had the president come with Secret Service and SWAT teams on his roof to his East LA neighborhood to actually record an interview. That's incredible, because the president came to the podcast. Platforms are bigger. Platforms get you in the door. A lot of people I help is telling them to grow a platform around something that they want to be known for, because platforms get your foot in the door. And Mark Maron never would have imagined that he would have had Louis C.K. and all these comedians and then President Obama on his podcast, but that's what happened. So you need to find the truth in what you do. And that authenticity is such an overused word. I have a love-hate relationship with that one as well. But ultimately, you have to find the truth in what you do and then stand behind what you say because then big things will happen. The next step is called collaboration, as you've heard of this term. I was going to add collab. Anyone here know what a YouTube collab is? So podcasters know. So YouTubers collab where they, it's like, let's say, what's your name? So Melody and I, let's say I have a channel of, uh, you know, half a million YouTube subscribers and I do uh, book covers for videos. It's a terrible idea. Um, and what was your idea you mentioned before? Wetsuits. What was it? Wetsuits. Wetsuits. So she has a wetsuit 
wetsuit community. So she has, let's say, a, a million subscribers. I have half a million. We appear in each other's videos on each other's channels. And then she opens up her audience to me with the wetsuit community. And my book cover design community gets to know the wetsuit. It's probably the worst collab in history. <laughs> um, I would not recommend anyone watch these videos. But hypothetically, it sounds moderately boring. Um, so in the end, the collab is all about sharing each other's audiences and communities and building bridges and opening up new channels. And so I call this the next uh, phase of community collaboration, the Benihana effect. So I don't know, who here has been to Benihana? Who here likes the food of Benihana? Surprisingly, a few. Uh, I used to go there for my birthday all the time when I was a little kid, and I never really felt good afterwards. I actually felt kind of sick. And I, they put the knife over my head for my birthday and uh, gave me a Polaroid, shows you how old I am. But I ended up going there because there's a shared experience. The chef's doing tricks. He's throwing chicken in the air. He's making mistakes. You sit with strangers. The strangers then you laugh with by the end of the night. You end up having a fun evening with a bunch of strangers and a chef who shows you what he's cooking. And the food, at least for me, made me a little tummy ached. But in the end, the Benihana effect is cooking with your community, letting people in getting people into your alpha, bringing them into the creative process, asking for feedback. Because ultimately, if you build your idea alone, no one's going to hear about it, and no one's going to evangelize for you later. And I actually have a couple people that wrote blurbs for my book, including this guy named Adam Grant. He wrote a book called Give and Take, which I highly recommend if you haven't read it. And uh, he's a Wharton professor. And I had him on my podcast. I kept in touch with him. And then he just wrote a, a book blurb on the back of the influencer economy. And it's all because I let him know my book was coming out even before I had really started it, but he was invested. And you want to get people to invest. And the more they cook with you and they eat your dinner at Benihana, the more likely they're going to help support you in the long run. So influencer collaboration. That's what everyone wants to talk about when they hear the term influencer economy. Who here recognizes this Oprah image? <laughs> you get a car? You get a car? You get a car? Remember that episode? It's, like, it's a very popular gif. Apologies if I just yell at you about cars. Um, but the beautiful thing about this Oprah effect was when Twitter went on, remember when Twitter went on Oprah? And it took off like wildfire. Or Oprah's book club, when people's books came on, it was like game change and they became New York Times bestsellers. Well, there's the reverse Oprah effect. If you get influencers to help you collaborate with your work or your project, they make you look more credible. They make you look better than what you are because they buy into what you're doing. And everyone asked me, oh, should I get you know, Lady Gaga to tweet about my product? Wouldn't that be great? And I was like, no, it's a terrible idea. Because Lady Gaga doesn't move the needle. You need to find niche influencers in your domain, in your area of focus, that are super specific. They may not have a million followers. They may have 20,000 Instagram followers. But they're, they're topic-oriented for what you're building. And you need to ask influencers to create with you. So when I had people on the podcast, it wasn't like just going for coffee and picking someone's brain. Like, coffee's not for closers anymore. Coffee is for losers. <laughs> it really is. Collaborations for winners. The collab. Because ultimately, no one would have gone to coffee with me. Troy Carter would have been like, dude, I'm really busy. I'm not going to grab coffee. Seth Godin would not have like, a, you know, any reason to talk to me from New York over coffee. But because I had the platform and the podcast, it got my foot in the door, and I was able to connect with folks and get them excited. And ultimately, now they're helping me to drive awareness for the book because they were on the podcast. So philosophy number seven is capture lightning in a bottle. This is the step where you've set yourself up, you've launched, you've shared, 
you've gotten people to buy in, you've gotten influencers to collaborate, you've collabed with your community, you've given people ownership of your idea, and you have a micro-community. These are your archetype customers. These are your clients, your folks that you have to actively pursue, ask questions on your email list, take, give them surveys, do giveaways, give people free stuff to learn more about them and bring them in and create three archetypes of people. And those are what you're creating your product and your idea for. And then from there, you need to brand your ideas and collaborate, collaborate, and collaborate, and keep collabing. So I want to reflect on what I learned from this whole process was that I actually, the influencer economy was the name of my podcast for a long time, and it didn't really flow off the tongue. Can everyone say influencer economy out loud for me? Great book title, right? $10 after the talk. Um, stick around for the free beer. But ultimately, it's not a podcast name. What I learned was four syllables or less were often the influencer economy products that people made. WTF, sword and laser. I mean, people make ideas BS report, nerdist. They're often hard consonants, and they're four syllables or less. So I, I found an old nickname, Rhino. R-Y-N-O, and I rebranded my podcast. It's changing to the Rhino Lab. That's the name of my company. And it's no longer about interviewing influencers because that phase is over. It's actually talking to people in a laboratory about the creative ideas that they've launched. And so what I'm doing is helping entrepreneurs and creative people launch digital products, whether it's podcasts or tech products or people helping with uh, self-publishing books, and whether it's executives or people at companies or creative entrepreneurs. Because ultimately, what I think is the most fascinating element of the, of the world we live in is that everyone has a chance. Not everyone's going to succeed. Not everyone's going to win by any stretch of the imagination. But we all have like that little chance. And we all live in LA and California for a reason, because there's something about the city and the state where you feel like there's a great opportunity for growth. And so I also have helped people build their networks. And I have a, a collaboration where people where I help with folks that want to uh, be coached in a collaborative group with other entrepreneurs and creators to help launch their digital products. So all this sort of came because I was burned out working on tech startups. Because you work at Machinima, as our friends will attest, it really burns you out because you're working like insane hours for, not, not that our founder was crazy, but a lot of tech founders. Anybody works for a startup? Who here has worked for a tech startup? Was your founder crazy? Like, raise your hand. Like, unanimously. Were you, were you the crazy founder? Raise your hand. Okay, that better question. I need to reframe the, the questioning here. Um, so anyway, but I love working with early stage, even pre-funded companies. So the final step, this is the one that I love the most. It's the hardest to achieve. It's thriving. It's monetizing. It's figuring out how to build your audience into customers for life. The characteristic that I can say without a doubt, 100% of everyone from the influencer economy is they're givers. Early adoption is probably 99%. Being a giver is 100%. Everyone who gave me time realizes the value of helping others, kicking it back, paying it forward, however you use, whatever you want to use for giving. Giving is the way to help best build your platform. If you help others get value, it's going to come back in spades. And I didn't realize this completely. I had to like retrain myself. But there's a, this great book, Adam Grant's uh, Give and Take. He, does, he did a bunch of studies about how givers succeed the most in life, and they thrive. And... Buy my book first, just so you know. I, um, givers succeed the most in life because that's, they have the propensity to succeed, but they fail the most in life. So giving is all about having your own self-interest align with your giving. 
And the most of us in the room are matchers. So that means that we help each other. Like you scratch my back, I scratch yours, quid pro quo, and it's, it's very normal. And then takers are the ones that people want to weed out. So everyone I've talked to has been a giver, and it's just the characteristic that I didn't realize would be that common denominator amongst the guests on my podcast and people featured in my book, but it really was. Um, and then nine of 10 for the steps is meet people IRL. Who here knows what IRL means? Who here doesn't know? Thank you for your honesty. You doing a podcast? What's your podcast on? Okay. We'll talk IRL after this. Um, so the IRL element is another element that I, I didn't think about because if you go to South by Southwest, there's like a million people there. You go to VidCon, there's another million people there. How do you meet people at these conferences, right? It's a meat market. It's like, it's like you wish there could be like a cloud over someone's head that said, don't talk to me, I'm a waste of time. Because you end up like going, to, you go to the bathroom and someone's giving you a business card, right? I mean, it really happens in South by Southwest. People are like speed dating, aggressive, like you wanna report them to security. So ultimately though, when you go to conferences, it's all about making a micro-conference out of it. It's planning influencer dinners, planning influencer lunches, going to other influencer events, smaller, low-key, more intimate elements where you can connect with people on a level that's more one-on-one -on -one or in smaller groups. And also, it's important to go out and meet your customers and pitch people because you're more likely to work with folks that know who you are and taking those online relationships offline is 100%. Everyone in the influencer economy has meetups. They have events for their community. They do signings. They go on tours. They do anything they can to meet their constituents and their, their people that buy their products. And then the last element is number 10. It is giving your community ownership. I mentioned this a couple times tonight because it comes across throughout the book. It's not just giving to people like we talked about. It's giving to your community and taking your brand and saying, I made this for you to work with you on together. Tell me how to make it better, what you don't like about it, or how we can spread it to the world. And what I found is that the more ownership you give to people, the more likely you're going to succeed. And that's why crowdfunding works so well. And Hannah Hart, who I talk about here, did a hardo, she did a tour for YouTubers for crowdfunding. And I always recommend people to do crowdfunding campaigns that they haven't, only because psychologically crowdfunding has changed how we launch our ideas, because it's so collaborative to think that I would pre-order something that doesn't exist, and I trust the person to make it. So for, for Hannah, she did the Hello Hardo tour, she raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, and she made a tour based on, and she's a YouTube creator, she makes funny vlogs. You, Anyone here know what a vlog is? Vlog is a video blog for people They talk to the camera. I'm like acting like an idiot, I know. But I really just feel like we need to be one. And we, I'm giving you ownership. Um, so, it's, so it's really giving people stuff and then they'll pay you later for it because they're so invested in what you're doing. And that's why companies like Dropbox give you the freemium model and then they charge you for stuff later. And then one element that I really didn't understand until like I just finished the book was you have to give to underserved communities that you represent. And there's a characteristic in influencers that often goes unnoticed. And it's not just giving to charity, but with Hannah Hart, she's a lesbian, and she answers a lot of YouTube videos from people that are questioning what their sexual identity is. And I didn't think much about it. And then getting back to when I mentioned that I was depressed before, I, uh, in my 20s, you know, when I did stand-up, and I ended up doing an episode where I talked about depression with a guest, and this guy was from, uh, he, actually I cold outreached him, and I, he was from Seattle, he's a company called Moz, it's a really good SEO company, and 
he was depressed as a founder. And then I told him that I was depressed as a comedian. And I said, let's talk about it. And it sounds really awkward and sad. Uh, and sad so make sure you buy the book before you go home sad. Um, but what I realized was I was really nervous because I was going to open up about this topic. And I thought that people would judge me and say, like, oh, Ryan, like, we can't take you seriously as a business person because you've been depressed. Because there was definitely like a reliability thing that I had when I was depressed. But the surprising thing about it was I have heard more Twitter feedback from that episode. I got a client from that episode who liked the, the, the honest, honesty around it. And I had uh, someone who reached out to me that wants me to potentially do a speaking gig because of it. And so it's like that underserved part of me, it's like no one talks about depression as much. And as my friend Matt told me, I suffered through it. I may as well try to work it now and try to tell people about it. Um, but in the end, it's like, how can you help other people that are smaller voices that you can represent once you have that platform and you are thriving? So this is what the final takeaway is before we get Tom out here, is uh, if you want to barter with me for books, I have physical copies to give speakings and trainings. I'm all, I like creativity with getting books out the door. I have bundles. Um, if you can leave Amazon reviews, that helps me like a thousand percent. If you're, who's here is in Goodreads? No, okay. <laughs> so add me to your bookshelf. And you too, and you too. Um, and then if you go to influencereconomy.com, there's an action guide that I'll give you as well. It's a little more in depth. So thank you all for coming out tonight. <laughs>